Well, if you're new with us today, we are in the middle of a short series of messages through the one another's. Um, and today we're looking at the command to encourage one another. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to bounce around a little bit uh, from there, but we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Pray with me one more time, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to just gathered together as your people. There's a real sense that our spirituality is connected to the Bible, that we know that you primarily communicate to us through the Bible. This is your word. And so, Lord, as we circle it today, I pray that you would speak to us. We know that your spirit works together with the Bible to communicate what we need to know about what is real, what is true, about the way that we should go, the way that we should live. So Lord, to that end, we just invite your spirit to come to do the work that only he can do of maybe convicting us of something, maybe encouraging us with something, and maybe opening our eyes to a truth that we hadn't seen before. We just pray that he would come and give us faith where we lack. So Lord, do a good work in these next moments together. And Lord, in the end of all of this service and the preaching of the word, the worshiping you, Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified in all of it. We pray that you would be pleased by it. We pray that um, I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. A man named Harold Dial is a, is a counselor, and this is the way he defines discouragement. He says that discouragement is a state of mind marked by fear of failure and loss of hope. So past struggles or present pain can all lead to this experience of being discouraged. Let me give you a couple examples to paint the picture. First one is a a young lady named Marcy. Marcy was sitting in her car outside of a coffee shop and she was just numb from the conversation she had had. Her boyfriend just broke up with her. Listen, if you've ever been there, you know the pain of it. And there's kind of a weird reality that Probably everybody you date until you get married, and if you stay married to the same person forever, that everybody you date, at some point, you're going to break up. But even with that reality, it's still painful, right? If you've ever walked through that, it's a painful thing to experience. And, and she was just uh, numb from it all. And, and in her mind, this, this record started playing, this sermon started playing, where she was just discouraged. And this, uh, she kept uh, believing all these false things. She felt like a failure. She uh, began to believe that, hey, maybe this is the only person that I'm ever going to love, and I'm never going to be able to love anybody as much as I loved him. She wondered if she would ever get married. She wondered if maybe she was cursed somehow. She felt like a fool. She felt like maybe there's something irredeemably wrong with me. She was discouraged. Mark had a similar situation of discouragement, but sort of a different category. He also was sitting in his car outside of his office and just kind of numb from the conversation he had just had. He'd just gotten fired from his first job. And, and he, it kind of came out of nowhere for him. Now, he acknowledged that maybe some of it was on him. There were times where he showed up to work late, and he wasn't meeting his sales goals, and he wasn't replying to emails as quick as he could have. But he also felt like he was never really equipped to do the job well. And again, this kind of record of discouragement was playing in his head. He wondered if, hey, you know, am I somehow kind of a loser or something? Am I ever going to find a good job again? What is this going to mean for my future? And as he thought about the implications of losing his job, he, he had always felt like he'd never measured up to his dad's standards for him. Kind of felt like a loser in his dad's eyes. 
And in fact, that was the thing that he dreaded the most about losing this job is he was going to have to tell his dad. He, he was beginning to lose hope for having a good future. He was also discouraged. We all struggle with discouragement at some point in our lives. And this is why God commands us, commands His church to encourage one another. Encouragement is the solution to discouragement. You see, we all have these moments where we're preaching these discouraging sermons in our heads. And we need the church, we need our friends to preach these encouraging truths to us in those moments. So God's given us the church to preach a different sermon to us. He's given us each other to preach those encouraging words when we need them the most. Today's the third message in this series on the one another's. And if you're new with us, a few weeks back we looked at love one another. And there we, we saw that we're to sacrificially love each other and love each other in tangible ways. Last week, and related to that, we looked at serve one another. And we saw that Christians are to serve one another from our hearts, but that's supposed to spill out into how we serve each other with our hands. So we're supposed to serve each other from, a, from the right motivations. And with those right motivations, it enables us to serve each other in sacrificial ways and tangible ways, but, but even for the long haul. Next week, we're going to kind of do a catch-all. There, there's 59 one another's in the New Testament. And next week, kind of a catch-all, which we're going to call accept one another. But today I want us to start with this command to encourage one another and and wrestle with the question of, do I love enough to build up? So let's start with 1 Thessalonians 5.11 and the command to encourage one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And before we dive into the command, let's set the context of the passage. If you're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, you see that it's all about the day of the Lord. It's talking about this coming day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord, even in the Old Testament, is this moment where two things kind of happen that seem paradoxical, but they happen at the same time. The judgment and salvation come together in this moment. So in the day of the Lord, you're going to experience judgment and you're going to experience salvation because Christ is returning. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that there are many, many days of the Lord. M-A-N-Y, M-I-N-I. There's A lot of smaller days of the Lord in the Old Testament. Now, all of those are meant to kind of thematically ramp up and point to this ultimate day of the Lord that's coming. And this is the day of the Lord that they're talking about. Notice a few stops in those first verses. In verse 2, it describes the day of the Lord as a thief in the night. Now, that's meant to be a moment that is sudden or unexpected. It's going to come that fast. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. But that day of the Lord, when Christ returns, when judgment and salvation come at that moment, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Now, there's an aspect of that image that it's a warning. There's a warning here that the day of the Lord is coming. Now, there's an application in verse 8 of that to be sober-minded. Because it's coming like a thief in the night, be warned. You're not not going to know what's going to happen. Thus, live lives of sober-mindedness. But also, there's a sense that this is to terrify us, right? This is a scary thing to think that the Lord's going to come at any moment. And so he gives us a couple of applications here. The first one being to be sober. But he also gives us good news in this passage. And this is maybe sort of chasing a rabbit. But but verses 9 and 10 are so good. (laughs) Well, let's stop at this moment for a second. But verses 9 9 and 10 say, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. But that's the good news of the passage. He's coming, 
But if you're in Him, if you're faithfully following Him, you're not destined for wrath. You're destined for salvation is His promise there. So this day of judgment is coming. And, those, and it's this call to repent and believe in Him, to trust Him, to trust His ways, because it's coming like a thief in the night. And if you do trust Him, if you've repented and believed in Him, then your destiny is salvation in that moment. I said there's two applications in this passage. The first one is be sober, be sober-minded. But the second one is verse 11. Based on all these truths about the coming day of the Lord, the second application is encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now what I want you to see here is that there is a link between looming judgment and this, and this call to encourage one another. In other words, there's a link between looming judgment and discouragement. There's something about this judgment that is coming that leads to discouragement here. Now, now hang with me and follow, follow me here because I think this is important to understand. I want us to kind of go down and understand discouragement so that we can then come back up again and understand encouragement. But, but there's a connection between judgment and discouragement. Now, now, we live in a day marked by secularism. So, so we breathe in certain truths and certain worldviews, existentialism, and, and all these different things that are around us that we assume to be true. And, and, and the average secular person, they maybe don't believe in God at all. The, the highest you know, percentage of people that are kind of rapidly rising in this country and in, in uh, the western part of the world are, are atheists, people who don't believe in God. But other people are secular. Maybe he's out there. They're probably best categorized as agnostic. They don't really know that he's there. If he's there, maybe he's there. But it doesn't really impact my life in any way. He's not like a personal God. So people who are there, they functionally or actually don't believe that there's a day of judgment coming, right? Like if you don't believe that there's a God, then you don't believe that he's going to come and he's going to judge the world. There's a, a, a theologian named Miroslav Volf. He grew up in Eastern Europe during communist Russia, during the, the Eastern Bloc time. So he grew up in a society that, that structurally was atheistic. It didn't believe in God. Here's his observation. He says that if you don't believe that there is a God, then you don't believe in coming judgment. And as a result, you live a more violent life. When you take out the idea of judgment out of someone's life, it leads to a more violent life. Now, this is common sense, right? Like, if you don't believe that you're going to be judged for the bad things that you do in this life, is that going to encourage you to do less bad things? Of course not. I mean, am I the only one that has been right at that moment of doing something wrong, and I'm like, okay, God sees me. Maybe other people don't see me, but God sees me. And that's like this healthy deterrent, right? Okay, listen, no matter if you believe in judgment or not, here's another reality that happens. Those things that we do wrong, those sinful things, those unholy things, they lead to discouragement in the sense that they lead to shame. And then they lead to these discouraged realities in our lives. It, it's fascinating that w w people come and, and sit with a counselor and they theoretically make a case for not believing in right and wrong. They believe morality is relative yet they think they've done something wrong and they're, and they're discouraged over it. Are you, are you tracking with me? So there's this link between judgment and becoming discouraged. Even if you don't even believe in judgment at all, it can lead to this place of being discouraged. Let me give you a quick example of this. 
Say there's a man, a dad, who struggles with harsh or critical words. Maybe he's just overly harsh or critical with his kids. And maybe he doesn't believe in judgment. He thinks, you know what, whatever, none of this matters. It's not wrong or, or it doesn't matter what I'm doing or saying to these kids. But then all of a sudden, he gets to this place where he realizes, okay, this is wrong. I am going to be judged. He has this healthy guilt over it. He starts believing in the day of judgment. Well, what can happen at that moment? What can happen in that moment of that man's life is his own flesh can say, you're a fool, you're, you're an awful person, you're, you're irredeemable. Satan can come in with his minions and lie to you and say, you know what, you're, you're destined for God's wrath. None of this is ever going to be right. Maybe the world tells him, you know what, don't, don't touch that guy. He is, just stay away from him, he's untouchable. You see, you can be haunted by these things, Right? These things that we do wrong, these sins that we all have, we're then haunted by them, and that leads to discouragement. So again, there's a link between judgment and discouragement. Now, this passage highlights, not only is there a link between judgment and discouragement, it highlights the need for encouragement. Now again, the good news of this passage is found in verse 9, that those who believe in Christ are not destined for wrath. You see, the church needs to remind each other that we're not destined for wrath. And those moments where we're playing that record of discouragement in our mind. We need the church, we need that Christian friend to come in with a different sermon. We need him to come in with that 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, that you're not destined for wrath. That's who you were, but God's forgiven you, and you have a good future in spite of that. What I mean is, is that real people in this room need to build each other up when we're discouraged. But what does encouragement really mean? Encouragement means coming alongside someone who's discouraged and urging them or comforting them or consoling them or cheering them up. Sometimes that means just your presence. You just need to be present with them. But sometimes that means you need to use words and speak certain truths, hopeful truths into their lives. So it's urging someone to believe the truth and not a lie. It, it's shining the light of, the, uh, of them having a good future into those wells of spiraling discouragement. Encouragement is all about building up. Discouragement is all about breaking something down, but encouragement is about building up or consoling someone. We, we need solace in those moments when we're discouraged. We need to know that someone is with us. Maybe we need a hug. In those moments, we just need those people with us. But we also need to move from just good sentiments to these uplifting words, helping people build something back that has been broken down. Discouragement tears us down. It breaks us into pieces. It breaks us apart. But encouragement is putting all that back together. It's building something back that has been broken down. Discouraged people, you can see it in their body, right? Like when you've met somebody or come across somebody who's really discouraged, they're they're slumped over. Maybe their eyes are looking down. They they don't look at you when they talk to you. But an encouraged person, they stand up straight. They're confident. They're hopeful. They're happy. They look at you in the eyes when they talk to you. This is what it means to be encouraged is that you believe certain things that totally transforms your life. But but also want us to understand that uh, to encourage one another, this is actually a command in the Bible. And I think we need to keep it in that category. You're actually commanded by God to encourage other people. In other words, God's given people to you in your life to encourage them. There's people in your life who are discouraged right now, 
And He's given you to them in order to encourage them. Who do you need to encourage today? Who do you need to love enough to build up? Okay, let's push into this a little further and ask why. Why do we get discouraged? And, and what does encouragement prevent? Well, encourage uh, in order to d- diminish deception and hardening. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. This helps us understand what encouragement can accomplish for us. Are the things that lead us to discouragement and how encouragement can help prevent these two things. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's some real parallels here between Hebrews 3 and 1 Thessalonians 5. They're both calling us to encourage people. But, but notice there's this theme of, of time is fleeting. Judgment is coming. Time is running out. And it's saying as a result of that, because time is fleeting, time is running out, we need to encourage one another. But encouraging prevents a couple of things. Number one, it, notice that sin deceives. And when sin deceives us, it leads to hardened hearts. And encouragement is meant to prevent both of those things. Let's take those in parts. Sin certainly deceives, right? Sin deceives us, doesn't it? One of uh, our, my favorite part of getting to be a pastor, and this is one of Kristen's favorite things that we get to do together, is we get to meet with couples for premarital counseling. People will come and say, hey, will you marry us? And then we kind of lay out, okay, uh, yeah, we would love to, and we start meeting them for premarital counseling. Now, when we do that, it's, it's, it's been interesting to watch this over the years, but, but we kind of lay out our stipulations for us doing the wedding and doing premarital counseling. Now, when, when a couple is at that moment of getting married, they're at a real crossroads in life, aren't they? And to me, it's a very exciting crossroads in life. They're, they're, they're headed in a new direction. They're making plans for the future. It's an exciting moment, and they're at this crossroads. But when we lay out these stipulations, we kind of find out where they are. Now, we have a series of things uh, that we lay out that they have to keep in order for us to marry them and do premarital counseling. And one of them is, is they have to remain pure and they can't be living together. Now, as time has gone by over the last 20 years, that becomes a higher and higher bar, doesn't it? Like, like the world teaches us that you know, this idea of remaining pure, that's some sort of archaic idea. Or, or the idea of not living together before you get married, that, that might even be harmful to you, Okay. What's rooted in that is this idea that, okay, you've got to discover if you're compatible before you can get married. So you ought to live together, right? That's kind of how the thinking goes. But that's a classic example of how sin deceives. Because all the research shows that if you live together before you get married, that's not helpful for a happy, long-lasting marriage. In fact, something, the research says something different. It doesn't say that compatibility is the key to a happy marriage. The key to a happy marriage is actually covenant. If that couple recognizes, okay, this is a sacred thing that we're doing. We're making a covenant with God. Then they figure out compatibility. Are you with me? So that's a great example of how sin deceives us. We can think, okay, if we're compatible, we'll discover that. That's the key to a happy marriage. But in reality, what's behind that is you're wanting to do what you want to do in your flesh, right? But, but the successful marriages, it's actually a different pathway. And the root of that is, is that sin deceives. Now, sin's deception actually leads to hardened hearts. Now, stick with me. They, they, they feel the conviction. They actually move out. And we've had guys go, you know, live on a couch for three months at his buddy's house or, or, or take on a, you know, an apartment or something like that. 
Now, now, people who are there, we check in on them a year later, and they're at a totally different place with the Lord. Like, that, like that becomes a step towards walking faithfully with the Lord. And typically, that leads to like healthy, thriving, joyful spirituality in that person's life. However, we've had a lot of people where we lay out these stipulations, and then like they don't call us back. <laughs> and then we check up on them later, and they're further away from the Lord. They're not closer to the Lord. They're not faithfully walking with the Lord in those moments. So again, the, the, this idea of, uh, of sin deceiving leads to hardened hearts. It's all about what you believe in those moments. So when we're deceived and hardened, we quickly succumb to discouragement. Are you with me? You see, people who are, who are confused and hard-hearted, they're not happy and hopeful. You see, they're, they're the ones who are tossed to and fro by the foolishness of the world. They, they become numb to, to faithful discipleship, and, and they become numb to just faithfully following the Lord. They're not passionate about the Lord. They're not like on fire for the Lord, following Him in these increasingly radical ways. So the practical solution to, to, to the deception of sin and the hardening of sin is encouragement. In those moments when we're discouraged, and what's behind that is a deception of sin and a hardness of heart, in those moments when we're there, we need people to encourage us by speaking truth into our lives. We need people in our lives to love us enough to engage hard hearts. We need people to speak hopeful, uplifting truths when we're down. But, but I think we need to be careful here in this moment to understand what encouragement is not or maybe what it can't accomplish. And we're talking about encouraging people when they're discouraged. We need to understand that what we're not saying is that encouragement solves all suffering. What we are saying is encouragement diminishes suffering. So an encouraging word is not going to cure cancer. Someone maybe still gets the divorce even though you provide the encouraging words. But what it does do is it steadies that man through cancer. It helps him navigate through that. So it diminishes suffering, but it doesn't solve suffering. Encouragement is meant to diminish that deception and hardness. Okay, that's kind of what is behind it. But what's the practical stuff? How? How do we, how do we uh, encourage one another? Now, I, I want to give you a, a practical principle here, and then I'm going to get to seven ways to encourage one another. But the practical principle is this, that we're to encourage together. You're in Hebrews 3, but skip over to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we get this, this principle to encourage together. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, there's the day of the Lord popping up, connected to encouraging one another. What, what he's talking about here is he's calling people to gather together as the church, to do what we're doing right now. I, I don't know if you've heard this before, you probably have, but I get this a lot as a pastor. People will say something to the effect of, hey man, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm like, okay. Tony Evans, here's, how, here's what he does with this. He starts at, okay, you're right. That's right. You don't, have to be, uh, uh, you don't have to come to church in order to be a Christian. He'll say, yeah, listen, salvation is through faith alone. It's through Christ alone. But then he says this, but you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. I think there's some wisdom there. Listen, what, what he's getting at here is what we're doing here, we're not here because we're trying to earn salvation. 
We're here because we need this. We're saved and we need to come together. And when we come together, we need to encourage each other. Friends, encouragement can't happen without community. You can't be encouraged by one another if you haven't gathered together with God's people, built those good relationships, been authentic with people, shared things going on, and then allowed them to encourage you with the gospel. You see, when we come together, we come together in order to worship Him. And, and, and it's true that that worship, it fills our soul and it, it brings Him glory. However, God doesn't need this. Like God's not the one that is lacking today. We're not here because he's lacking something and he needs us here. And oh my goodness, you've got to get here because God really needs it. God's not lacking anything. We're here because we're lacking. We're, we're, we're here for us, if you will. We need community. We need to meet together. We need the church because we need encouragement. Friends, this means that we need to encourage together. When we come together, we're to encourage one another. God's created you to need those handshakes and those hugs. You need those moments. You need those words of encouragement. I need those encouraging words from you. And when you show up, we need you to help us encourage, discourage people who are stuck in those dark wells. We need you to participate in the body of Christ in that way. You need to speak truth uh, to people who are, who are needing to climb out of those holes. When we meet together, we're to encourage one another. Well, that's the principle. Now let me give you seven ways, and I'm going to bounce around quickly to seven different verses, but seven ways to practically build friendships by encouraging one another. Now listen, this whole series is the one another's, but it has this specific focus of building Christ-centered friendships by using the one another. So, so how do we build friendships by encouraging one another? Let me give you seven ways. The first one, the, the first way to make friends through encouraging one another is by being kind. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. This means that we should have sympathetic attitudes towards each other. We should see the best in each other. We should want the best for each other. Number two, the second way to make friends through encouraging one another is by greeting one another. Four times in the New Testament, Romans 16.16 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, and 1 Peter 5, 14, all four of those places command us to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now be careful with that in Texas, okay? I've got a weird side story. I'll tell you offline on that one. But there's a principle behind there, okay? The principle behind there is to show affection for each other, to, to, greet, one, uh, to greet one another in this affectionate way. We're, we're to hug each other. We're to walk up to someone and introduce ourselves. We're to shake hands. We're to ask questions to get to know each other. We're to greet one another. That's key to encouraging one another. It's key to developing Christ-centered friendships is greeting one another. Number three, the way to make friends through encouraging one another is by honoring one another. Romans 12.10, in the ESV it's translated, outdo one another in showing honor. In the NIV it's translated, honor one another uh, above yourselves. Honor is about showing esteem or showing respect. It's using your words uh, to tell someone that you appreciate them. You see that good thing that they're doing and you're thankful that you're doing it. It means complimenting someone. Complimenting someone is a great way to encourage someone. Number four, the way to make friends through encouraging one another is by carrying burdens. 
Galatians 6.2 says, uh, to bear one another's burdens. This means that when we are encouraging someone, sometimes they just need to lay their burdens out there. So bearing one another's burdens means it begins with listening to someone else's troubles. And then it it moves to praying for one another. And then many times it moves to, to counseling them with wisdom from God's word that they need to hear. Encouraging one another includes being willing to bear one another's burdens. Well, number five out of seven, the way to make friends through encouraging one another is by spurring each other. Hebrews 10.24 explains that we're to stir up or, or we're to spur one another on to love and good works. So when a friend is discouraged, we should listen. We should pray, certainly. And we should encourage them towards those love and good works. We should say those gospel truths to them that help them in that moment, that help them walk more faithfully, that help them love more, to, to give them this new gospel perspective on, on what's going on. Many times when we're discouraged, we're, we're believing false things. And we need this new perspective. We need to be spurred towards that new perspective. Six of seven, the way to make friends through encouraging one another is by praying for each other. James 5.16 teaches us simply to pray for one another. So when a friend is discouraged, Bring God into the problem. Be, be praying for them. Praise God for how uh, God is sovereign and He's good and He's over this problem. Thank Him for the, the good that He's going to work in this, even though you guys can't see it at that moment. Thank Him for being with them and for them. And then ask God to help them. Number seven, finally, the way to make friends to encouraging one another is by building up each other. You see, when we are broken, we need uh, people to help put us back together. When we have fallen down, be a voice that helps lift people up. Listen, the world, our flesh, the devil himself, they're in the business of discouraging us, of breaking us down. But Jesus and his bride, they're in the business of building people up. That's what Marcy needed that day. Her boyfriend broke up with her. Sitting in that car that day at the, at the coffee shop, she quickly called the ladies' college Bible study leader, she, she just with tears on the phone call, just laid it all out, just bore out her burdens to her small group leader. Her small group leader listened to her, cried with her, prayed with her. And then she went one step further and encouraged her. She encouraged her with some wisdom. She, she encouraged her just with the wisdom that, hey, this is going to be okay. This is not determinative of your future. You're going to be okay. And then she encouraged her with gospel truths, that God was with her. God was for her. Even though she couldn't see how God was going to work good in this, they were going to believe that, that God was with her and He was going to do something good through all this. So even though Marcy was discouraged in that moment, that was kind of her pathway back to encouragement. Those encouragement, those were how she made it through. Mark, on the other hand, he was uh, in this season where he had lost his job and one of the elders in the church had been kind of trying to reach out to him. And when he heard Mark had lost a job, he quickly scheduled a lunch with him and, and just over cheeseburgers, he uh, coached him and, and did kind of that elder care work with him. He, he kind of pushed into, okay, what happened here? And, and just kind of tried to listen to him on, on what had happened and maybe gave him some advice. And even on that, he, he shared how he had been fired before. He, he, wanted him, he wanted to be vulnerable with him and he wanted him to know, hey, th- this doesn't mean, you know, that you have a bad future. We, we've been there. I've been there. He tried to encourage him with that. But, but he also kind of stepped in, in caring for him. He, he didn't want Mark to lose hope about his future, and he didn't want Mark to be haunted by maybe things from his past. He challenged him to learn some lessons from the experience, but, but to move forward in, in hopeful ways. That day that that elder took some, 
some time with him and shared that wisdom with him and prayed for him and encouraged him. That, that was how Mark was kind of put back together and was then able to go on and pursue his next job. And so my closest friends will tell you that I'm a bit of a discouraged Eeyore. And if you're like me, you know that the world can tear us down. If you're anything like me, you know that those, those thoughts can come into your mind. That sinful flesh can, can take over and that record of discouragement, that, that law you're laying out, you know, all the ways that you've made mistakes in the past. Maybe if you're like me, Satan himself can come along and, and accuse you of all these different things, all these past mistakes. He can try to condemn you over and over again. However, God has given us his bride to encourage us. The church is commanded to encourage the church. Are you with me? Listen, He's called you to gather together, to be here. And one of the reasons you're here is to encourage someone. God has given someone to you right now to encourage. Who in your life needs encouragement today? How can you help put them back together? How can you help lift them up out of discouragement? Brothers and sisters, I pray more than anything today that we would love enough to build up. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for this, this reminder, this simple command to encourage one another. All of us are going to struggle with discouragements at, at different points in our lives. And in those moments, I pray that in the church, in the body of Christ, in, in the lives and the words of real people, that we would find encouragement. That when we're discouraged, like Marcy and Mark, that, that we would reach out to that wiser, older brother or sister in the church and just let them speak gospel truths over our lives. Lord, I pray that this would be an encouraging church. I pray that as people walk through these doors, when they're encouraged, that they, they would just be blessed by glorious gospel truths. That they would know that they have a good future with you. That you've not destined us for wrath. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May that be the record that we play over and over in our mind. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.